0: What's up, everybody? This is FTW with Ahmad Khan. I'm Ahmad Khan of Tom's Guide, and joining me today on this Catch Me If You Can edition is Jacob Wolf of Dot Esports and Kevin Hitt of the
1: Esports Observer. How's it going? Thank you for having me. I'll let Kevin speak for himself, but thank you for having me.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for having us. It's good to be here.
1: On today's
0: show, we're going to discuss the latest investigation by Wolf and Hit. The pair published an extensive report on .esports about Joshua Mullins, a teenager from Tennessee that nearly swindled his way into team ownership. It's a tale of lies and trickery, and probably the most bizarre case of attempted fraud within esports. So, Jacob, Kevin, how did you two stumble upon this story?
1: Yeah, I remember the week that it like it came up. Uh, I was in LA actually for BlizzCon, and I I had made a habit. This was the first year I started that habit, but I always make a habit when BlizzCon is in person, obviously, and we're not in COVID times to go a few days early. Um, there were, I believe, that year that was the Beverly Hills Hotel meetings for Overwatch League um, at BlizzCon, yes. and so I had come in early. To and stayed in uh Universal City and was going to be commuting to the Beverly Hills Hotel to like get drinks and meet all the, the new Overwatch League owners before their first season. Um, and I remember like Kevin called and was just like, I have this thing. Um, and we ended up like talking about it. I actually think uh, we got dinner. A- uh, that weekend too, at some point, and like went went through it. Well, yeah, we hung out. Yeah, for, for an our, evening. Yeah, three yeah. to four hours. and we like yeah, really yeah. like talked about like what we had seen. Really, the blow up, right? Like the the way we found the story was was the Draco team that's mentioned in the final yeah. two sections like blew up, and like Ellie Theobald, the uh who like we refer to as an internet sleuth in the piece, she like started kind of like going at them like really personally, yeah. um, but like was exposing some stuff kind of smaller too. And it was funny because the more and more we dug, like at some point I remember when I heard the name Joey Amoruso that I went like, what the fuck? I know that guy. (laughs) And, and I knew him because a year and a half earlier he had messaged me on Skype, like call it added me on Skype. I had been like maybe a month or so into my ESPN gig. I was covering the renegades, TDK and team impulse bands that riot uh, levied. And uh, he messaged me and and like offered me an exclusive that he was gonna purchase um TD, or he was gonna purchase the TDK Challenger slot. He gave me the scoop, and um, I didn't know at the time that he was a fifteen year old. Um, <laughs> but when I saw his name a year and a half later um, in another fraud scheme of, of Draco, like I knew immediately. Like I recognized the name immediately. I was like, I talked to that guy a year and a half ago. Holy crap! And uh, yeah.
0: So do you think he was trying to leverage, leverage your, I guess, celebrity or journalistic celebrity in the space uh, to try to help give legitimacy to his quote unquote buy?
1: I don't know. I mean, I never heard from him. Like the way that, the way that worked in, in 2016 is like, he reached out to me and I told him, you know, let me know when you close the deal, I'll write a story. And I never heard back from him. Like he just mm-hmm. like ended up just like ghosting me. And then TDK sold to another team. I ended up, I think I got that scoop. If I didn't, I covered it shortly thereafter And I was just like, huh, that's weird. A deal must have just fell through. Like, I didn't think about it much, you know? Like, I was covering a lot of things. That summer, I was working on my big Renegades feature for ESPN. It was my big long-form feature for them. Like, first one that I had done. And so, like, I didn't think about it really much until a year and a half later when Kevin started showing me documents (laughs) and telling me his story. And I was just like, wait a second. Like, this is the same dude. Um, And, like, we... Yeah, Cole, Money, Melissa, and like ended up coming clean eventually as we outlined in the piece and talking to Kevin for a while and then talking to me again after that. Um, and yeah, like uh, we started to figure out it was like these this ring of three guys um, and that document dump that Cole provided like sort of it, it began the clock for us in terms of like if if I if it was a stopwatch, that'd be when we first pressed yeah, it. So. Yeah, totally. Yeah.
0: yeah, you know, I think I think I really want to talk about the start of the piece because it is just so out of left field, right? You're talking about this guy named Joshua Ackerman and the, this like custody hearing, threats of you know kidnapping and this and that. I'm just like, where is this coming from? Uh, and I think it points to how good of a character, for lack of a better term, is uh, that Joshua Mullins is. This, I guess, at the time a teenager, but now he's 21. Uh, who's you know sitting is sitting in jail on forty three counts of
1: what fraud charges or various other charges? It's yeah, it's like identity yeah. theft, fraud, um, impersonation, impersonation <laughs> of a licensed professional, which is the Ackerman case. Yeah. Like, there's a bunch of charges. Yeah, they kind of range all over the place. What can you surmise from this? Is it fair for, me, for fair for me to say, kid? This
0: kid's psychology for, to want to set up a fake, you know, uh, summons to essentially manipulate this person
1: honestly, I never understood that. I So I got to about a month ago interview Jeff Bryden, the detective that's quoted in the piece twice. Um, he led the he's led the Tennessee investigation. so the the Audi uh, buying an Audi with a fake check. Um, the, uh, he opened and uh, purposely opened overdrafted and tried to then close, um, accounts at two different credit unions, one in Tennessee, one in Virginia. Um, and then the Pace, Pace Ackerman case, um, we didn't use her name, but it's public records or whatever. Um, Nikki Pace and Joshua Ackerman and their, their custody case. Um, and I never really understood why, like I get as bad as it is, why someone would try to self-enrich, right? Like that, it's very clear, right? Like money was the goal in a lot of this. Um, But this one, like, what was the goal? Like, I don't think Nikki Pace ever paid him a fee, right? Like I did, I, and Jeff Ryden never, like the detective didn't get that either in my interview with him. Like we both were kind of just like, why would you do this to someone? Like this is someone's family. It's a really personal thing, right? Like, and that's, it's a huge step. And, and that, that instance happens only a month after Kevin and I first came across the story. Right. Like we we came across the story in late October, early November 2017. That happens December 13th, 2017. It's a it's a month and a few days later. And it's uh, after the Draco thing. And I just like I don't understand. I don't understand. Like it's he had not been in Tennessee for that long at that point. He had moved out of Tennessee. We mentioned later in the piece that he ended up getting in an altercation with his mom. And he he uh, was convicted on uh, juvenile misdemeanor of of um, battery. But like, you know, this is he so he runs away at 17. He goes to Chattanooga. He lives with his boyfriend, as far as I know, in Chattanooga and ends up getting involved with uh, this woman and like drives from Chattanooga, Tennessee to North Carolina, Raleigh, North Carolina. Like that's a long drive if you do that on Google Maps Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) and does that with her and and somebody else that was involved. And like I just never understood that when I I had heard about it. Uh, obviously like from DAs and stuff in, in Tennessee, but I like couldn't get my hand on all the documents that everything I had the warrant that Jeff Bryden wrote, um, and got signed. But, uh, sort of the, the key to break to that being a part of the story was a little bit more than a month ago. Hmm. Um, I was able to get, um, the, I was able to get a, a, court clerk in North Carolina to give me those records, um, to give me their custody records. Um, they weren't sealed. Um, and I was able to request them. They're not digitized, so they had to <laughs> scan every single page um, for me. Um, but when I got that, that was it was huge, and I ended up getting more documents from Chattanooga Police Department with an open records request to get the other parts of it too. Um, thank you, Henley Goodwin, for uh, helping us with that. It's a law firm based in Tennessee, because um, in Tennessee, oddly enough, you can't make public r- records requests to any state or local Um. Uh, government like parties or whatever without being a Tennessee resident, so I had to hire a law firm to do that. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it like I don't know the the to answer your question about the psychology, like Jeff Ryden just said, like uh, you know, it interviewed him for his investigation, like just kind of just said that. You now like the quote at the end, like he's a really smart kid. He could have done anything in his life. And this is just this is what he chose to do. Mm-hmm. You
0: know, I think I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around because, you know, he, he tried to pull off this crazy scheme with with this custody hearing. And that's kind of what unraveled everything. Do you feel that if he hadn't taken that drastic step, the outcome of which I'm not entirely sure what he was trying to accomplish, but if he had never done that, I mean, this investigator wouldn't have like jumped in well on this investigation.
1: I don't know um i don't know if that's true uh because the audi thing mm. and the Fred- federal credit union probably would have caught up to him eventually they uh, this was said to kevin and i we were we were told that that so he wrote the fake check bought the audi vehicle and then at some point it like broke down uh and
2: there was one flat tire that yeah got and he when he called for yeah help, he whatever. ended
1: up calling <laughs> audi's uh, like yeah. Audi's like roadside assistance service or whatever for new vehicles and yeah. almost like turned himself yeah. in. Like they repoed the car, like local police repoed the car. I found out later. Wow. Um, and so when the pace thing happened, that's when like Bryden figured out that there were complaints from other parties, you know, uh, his own department had, had something around it with the the whole car thing. Um, but I, I think it it became from like the car being its own little thing to becoming like this case of you know four different crimes
2: absolutely and you it's like it that flat tire is almost the unraveling of him, right ironically and just to back up a yeah, right. <laughs> just to back up a little bit, you know, why do people do anything right? Well, if you look at um if you look at his. History and and how he presented himself on LinkedIn, how he presented himself on different social sites. There was definitely some sort of fascination with law and being a lawyer, yeah. and 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 things of that nature. And that's really what struck out to me. Like I said, being a former Leo, you know, there's people that impersonate cops all the time, right? And but why? Well, of course, it's a it's a power thing, right? There's there's things that you know cops that people think cops can do and 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 you know on a power trip and things like that and i feel like his thing was wanting to be a lawyer because he felt like he had power and he was in control i mean all the the signatures right jacob that he forged it's yeah. like he was able to sign documents that people you know thought were legit and made people do things so i really think he had a fascination with
1: it i agree if i had to guess like knowing what i know about him you know like i was i was able to do a little bit of digging into like his family and his parents like they don't seem particularly well off not many people end up living you know i'm from georgia not many people live in the north georgia mountains that they have money um and if they do it's in some like high-end mansion like i got pictures of his childhood home or at least like where he lived from like age 12 or 13 to the 17 you know when he moved out at 17 and went to Chattanooga and like it's like a an average North Georgia mountains home it's not like they were like super wealthy a family of six you know he had I think he has two older siblings that um are from one of his parents previous marriages and then um he has one younger sister um who's a a few years younger than him and then uh, his dad ended up passing away at some point as well um and I mean like I it was something I do think it is something about control, but at some point like like he used it was funny when Kevin and I actually first got into it and we we tried to background check him because we didn't understand how old he was at the time. Um, His dad's uh, like information came up and we later found out he was using I found out that he was using his dad's social security number even after his dad was dead to try to like open credit cards and stuff under his own name that
2: aerospace business he was trying to leverage. Yeah.
1: Right? Yeah. His dad was like involved in some sort of airline thing. He like tried to open a business called Aeromark airlines at one point. There's a lot that didn't make the piece. It just like, it's really confusing. Yeah. Like we, I mean, we, we had way more than we could just kind of throw in here to create that narrative and like tell the story and we trimmed, but like, yeah, I mean it, there's one of the pending charges against him in Georgia or a few of them is trying to open up credit card and bank accounts with his dead father's social security number. Yep. Hmm. Which, which is just kind of strange.
0: You know, I, I think what was what was really fascinating is that you know, in the the fast and tumble world of esports, how close he might have actually been to like getting a <laughs> getting into like the LCS or the Challenger Series or whatever. Um, I mean, in, based on you know your guys reporting, how close was he actually, or was he just playing a game that you know he was way too under, I don't know, under talented for?
1: It? I mean, he was incredibly close. Twice, actually, uh, the the yeah. T D the T D K instance, which he wasn't as involved in, uh, the liquid incidents, he was. Steve Aaron signature, and it was done. If not, if not for one signature away, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, he would have had a challenger team. Like they, if not for that, Elliot Smith, like secret tip email that was sent to Steve Aaron uh, yep. uh, that would it, it would have been done. Like we have the document, and it's got everybody's names on it except Steve's, and and what happened between it being sent out with. Cole and everybody else's name in it, and Steve's name is—is is Elliot wrote that email because he was suspicious, yeah. <laughs> and Elliot saved Team Liquid from being really embroiled in this forty million dollars.
2: Yeah, for giving away forty million dollars.
1: Well, no, because the forty million is the Team well, Sky for the thing. TDK. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, yeah for yeah. the Team Sky thing. But yeah, like the, the whole thing is just wild. Like he was really close a number mm-hmm. of times, um, and I mean, it to your point, like. You know, we don't see this as much in top, es- like the top esports games anymore, right? Because, like, to be in League of Legends, to be in Overwatch, Call of Duty, and Counter Strike in particular, it's so expensive that you actually do have to have real money. When players are making twenty, <laughs> thirty, forty thousand dollars a month, right? Yep. Like individually, um, yeah. You know, like we, but you do see some of this. It's funny how many like tips and like comments we've gotten about this past Two days like you still see some of this at the lower level of esports where the barrier to entry is still kind of low and it's not you don't have to be a billionaire to be a part of it. Um, and I mean, but this was only like five or six years ago, League of Legends was kind of the wild, wild west still. And and uh, yeah, I mean, he got damn close a couple times,
0: you know. I know Aaron said, You guys, uh, I mean, Jacob, I know you know, I and mean, I assume Kevin, you've spoken to Aaron said at some point uh, throughout your esports career. Did you find I guess I'm it's not terribly surprising, but were you a little surprised that he didn't want to speak to the story? They don't wanna they don't look, let's just be honest
2: here. They're really smart guys and and you know, Steve and the gang and all those guys, they they have created something that's amazing thus far, right? Um mm-hmm. I just don't think they wanna relive those days of, of <laughs> past where they almost got swindled and almost got duped. And I yeah. think just moving forward is is the appropriate play from a PR perspective, to be
1: honest. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I,
0: I, 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 did find it funny that um, after trying to, like, they, they even went after from the high end at the league level. They even tried to get Waddy, the Super Smash Brothers player. I, I just wonder what the play was there.
1: Oh well, Waddy was actually a part of the EMP thing. Yeah. So oh, I see, I see. when they, when they acquired EMP, they took on Waddy and a few other players. Um, the Call of Duty team, though, was actually sound outri- signed outright. And actually made some money at some point. Like Mm -hmm. they required, uh, it's actually funny, Diabolic is someone who I've known for a while and interviewed for this piece. Um, And Diabolic was in a big deal maybe a year earlier with a team called Dream Team that like didn't end up paying everybody correctly and like had some weird contract disputes and everything. And so like Diabolic was smart enough when he dealt with Draco to make Joey Amoruso pay him a certain amount of money up front. And they got it. We like never got an answer as to where that money came from. Like who fronted that money? Because Cold Money and Melissa didn't have the money to do that. Like none of these guys did.
2: Yeah, and we asked his dad, and his dad hung up on us. If you remember.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I did call. I did call Joe. I did call Joey Amoroso's dad, and he hung up on me. He like told me he didn't know what he what I was talking about, and hung up on me.
0: I I I, I was glad to see you know. Frank Villarreal's name in this piece, I mean, I guess not glad, but glad to see that, you know, he's he's been an owner I've always been uh, a little uh, a little impressed with, and that he was able to see very quickly that, you know, these guys were scammers. And that, I guess, pushes, pushes me to another question. I mean, considering how tight-knit the esports community is, why didn't it get to all the owners more quickly?
1: I mean, I think it's part of the reason that, like, the Challenger series at the time in particular, which Rogue was not even a part of League of Legends back then, they are now, but they were a Predominantly Overwatch team back then, um, and Overwatch's first year.
2: Absolutely right. Yep.
1: People were just really desperate to be a part of the Challenger Series. Uh, I think like maybe the year before this, like I was reporting on. Yeah, the year before this, I was reporting on like Martin Scrowley coming in, and like he was a. I remember Martin like chewing me out because Kevin Morris and I decided it was a good idea and it was the right idea um, to put in the bottom of our piece that he was under sec investigation at the time no one knew who he was back then either Um, he had not done the daraprim thing yet and and made headlines like he did um, but it was actively under sec investigation and so um you know and he ended up like partnering with two teams like he he was a part of or three teams i guess eventually he he ended up uh doing maelstrom gaming or whatever it was um uh or no it was odyssey sorry um team odyssey and then got involved in uh, Imagine, which um, is, like, Gerard Kelly and some others. Um, and But also was, like, secretly funding—I didn't know this when I wrote a piece on him— but yep. secretly funding ex nihola which was, like, Ali Saba, who went on to be a part of Misfits. It was Ali's, like, team in Europe. So he was breaking Riot's rules, kind of behind the scenes as a shadow figure. And, you know, like— Nobody said anything at first until he came back and owed a bunch of people money, but nobody said anything originally because they were just so people were so desperate to like clamoring to be a part of this. You know, if you weren't named uh, Team Curse slash Liquid, Cloud9 or TSM, like you had a lot to lose and a lot to gain. And so people were really, really desperate to be a part of it if you're not one of those three teams. Because remember, you know, during that time, that was when
2: it was being said and being known what Riot was starting to do, right? They wanted to make that lucrative league, right? Everyone's like, oh, we got to get in. How do we get in? Because it's going to make us money. And that was exactly that time frame where they said, hey, we're going to do this. We want to do this. And so every single person out there that, you know, that thought they had a chance were throwing their name in the ring, right? And so why not? And this guy was super close to getting his name on, you know, in the league. Um, yeah. You know, it, 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 at least being considered heavily for the league um, just by forging documents and pretending to be an org without having any real backing. And so I think he was looking at that as his, uh, you know, get-rich-quick scheme. Mm.
0: You know, th- reading the story, it, it really did seem like an amateur version of, like, 2002's Catch Me If You Can. <laughs> are, 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 have you guys started optioning the the movie rights?
1: Uh, at this, at this point, no. Um, but, uh, it's like, I, I've, I probably watched that movie and read like Jeff Macius. Um story on the McDonald's Monopoly game, like 12 times each uh, <laughs> while reporting on this <laughs> because it's exactly what we thought. I mean, it, and when Jeff Ryden said it to me, the first time we spoke, like it's this, I called this the catch me if you can case while working on it. I was like, great. Mine's like, like, yeah. um, yeah,
2: yeah, cause you had said that to me even yeah. a long time ago, Jacob, you, when you and I were talking and you know, when this thing first started, you're like, Kevin, this is a movie. This is a movie. Like that's what he kept telling me. And I'm like, yeah, you're not wrong, this is a movie, and then, as you know again, as we started getting more and more into it, it became that much more fascinating and there's still other aspects that you know we had to trim that would even again give more light into some things and who knows? maybe we'll get a companion piece at some point, but at this point, yeah, no this thing is 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 made for movies for sure
0: yeah it it's just <laughs> it's like the movie, but with half the suave of Leonardo DiCaprio right. <laughs> I, yeah. You're not wrong
2: there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, is, it is funny, man. I, Frank Abagnale, I, I thought about him a lot, a lot throughout this. Yeah, Instead of a plane, it's
2: an R8 or an R5, whichever it was. Our, the
1: uh, A5. A5, yeah, yes. The A5, yeah, <laughs> the A5.
0: Well, with that, thank you guys so much for jumping on the show. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for having us.
2: Yeah, thanks for having us. I had a lot of fun. Thanks so much.
0: And that was FTW with Ahmad Khan. If you like the show, please rate, subscribe, and share. Full transcripts of the show can be found at ftwamad.com. To follow Jacob and the work he's doing at .esports, you can find him at Jacob Wolf on Twitter. To follow Kevin and his work over at the Esports Observer, you can find him at Kevin underscore hit. That's hit with two T's. And to follow my writing over at Tom's Guide, you can find me at Ahmad on Twitter. And Ron Lyons is our audio producer. With that, we'll catch you guys next week.